0: Hi everybody, it's Tom from Cricket Coach 365 and welcome to our latest podcast. So hi everybody, it's Tom from Cricket Coach 365 and welcome to our very latest podcast in the series around lives in women and girls cricket. And I'm very fortunate to be with Henry Moran Uh, Henry Moran of BBC Cricket Commentary and TMS you probably heard his voice uh, commentating on a lot of the the women's uh, game over the summer in the hundred if you followed any of that I'm sure you'll have heard Henry uh, over the airwaves a very good friend of Daggers who we uh, had the good fortune of uh, speaking to not that long ago so welcome Henry and thank you very much for making the time to speak to us Tom, it's a
1: pleasure, and I, you know, it's a hard act to follow daggers. You see, I'm gonna to have to, I'm gonna to have to make sure that you know I'm, I'm absolutely funnier, more charming, and more entertaining than he was.
0: <laughs> well, good luck with that, uh, Henry. <laughs> but um, we're going to start with our our first question. We ask all of our guests, uh, which is kind of going back to that moment when you first recollect. And being involved or having some experience of the game of cricket, so for the benefit of our listeners, please try to describe, explain, or tell what that recollection or moment is
1: well, I think it 's probably quite similar for lots of lots of listeners, which is a relative of of be a dad in my case it was it was my granddad watching cricket, and I was sort of fascinated as a as a young kid that you know he could be on a hot sunny day, sitting in front of the television for the entirety of it, enthralled in something where as far as I could tell, not an awful lot was happening. And it was the summer that West Indies were playing in England, so 1995. Um, And Brian Lara, Kirtley Ambrose, courtney walsh in the side and he i remember him telling me that the important wicked is lara that is the one we've got to look out for and i was sort of really interested to see what you know why was he so intrigued by this and then he leapt out of his chair for an lbw shout against Brian lara that was given and you know suddenly i was like this is amazing you know how almost in that rarity value that you get from a wicket in a test match Sort of it suddenly seemed like this what this precious thing that was that, that occurred and and from there we then had Dominic cork took a hat-trick later in the series I was I remember watching that with my brother was whilst playing upstairs or whatever it was and it, from there you just suddenly sort of get intoxicated by this thing that I suppose sport in general can be which is it makes grown-ups all of a sudden into complete free sort of released from all of the inhibitions that adulthood can bring because they are absolutely engulfed in the enthusiasm and joy that sport can bring. And I think that was that sort of moment. You think, okay, right, this is something a little bit different. And I want to be a part of this. And it's fascinating. And then, you know, garden cricket and everything from there. And and away you go, really. And it's that little moment, just that little spark that that can do everything.
0: Yeah, but that's that is a great one because it's not necessarily um one that is, you know, looked back on by everybody as a really um sort of memorable moment in cricketing history. But it obviously was very memorable for you and your granddad. Um, so, you know, Lara, um, absolutely, you know, for many people, myself being one, possibly the best left-handed batsman ever to to have played, maybe barring um, Sir Gary Sobers, but certainly in the modern modern era. Uh, and I I was at that I I went that was the time when the West Indies I think was the first um, it was the first of the summer tests in England Um, so I think I would have been at that test match it would have been at Edgbaston uh, I think Um, but uh, I remember um, watching Lara in in that series and he he was the wicket to get so your grandad was absolutely right Um, To leap out of his chair and uh, and then you know the rest is history as it were is 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 quite amazing to hear. Um, But you're right. I remember
1: it was it was was during that tour because I grew up in Oxford and he, my mum, I can't remember, took me and my brother to watch a tour match in the university parks, which is it was in the days when touring teams would play in the parks in Oxford against the university, and. I did not appreciate the fact that some of the most famous cricketers in the world were just playing in my local park and that it was a completely ridiculous, surreal thing to be happening. And it's just, you know, at the time I sort of just didn't really get it. I didn't quite understand why it was significant. And only now, looking back, you think, wow, that was, you know, that
0: was something else. Yeah, well, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head to, you know, to describe it in the way you you did is absolutely right, isn't it? That um, at that time... Uh, those world named, you know, world renowned names in cricket playing in the park, you know, literally, um, <laughs> in Oxford, um, who would know? Because you know, the the TV cameras wouldn't necessarily be there. There was no, there's no stadia. Um, it is literally, you know, people walking their dogs and students, you know, hurrying to to lectures or what have you. So, um, so yeah, but a but a beautiful place to also play cricket it has to be said. Um, but I love I love the words you use there. So intoxicated, engulfed. Um, I think. Sport does have that habit of drawing you in, like you said, and, and cricket um, is one of those sports that once you're in, I think you're in for life, aren't you? And uh, and you know maybe you're an example of that through your, your grandfather's exclamation at that LBW appeal against Lyra in
1: 1995. Yeah, I, Nick Hornby wrote about the impact of sports in, in fever pitch, and that first moment as a kid, you walk through the turnstiles and you, you feel like you're getting let into a club, mm. an exclusive club. And it, even in, in the example he gives, even if that club is watching your team struggle to a 1-0 win, but the novelty of hearing grown men using offensive language, you sort of feel like you're part of something. Yeah. Um, and And that, in many ways, is why it's so important that things like the 100 worked as they did in the summer by getting people... To be part of that club, and there is nothing you cannot replicate the experience of going to a sporting venue and experiencing the collective uh sense of enjoyment that you get from from being in the stands if you're lucky enough to be there and that I think that's what made it so you know the, the, the summer that's gone just so special because you saw everywhere you looked people having that moment where you could see the spark and that you know if you love if you love sport and you see people young people loving it as well and getting into it that's all you can ever wish for is, you know,
0: it's the absolute best. Yeah, I'm sure we'll come on to the hundred, but I think you've um, you've whet people's appetite to find out more a bit later on. But um, I think that sense of belonging, that being part of something, a club or, you know, even if you call it a community, um, but something that you can associate with, with pride, whether it be, you know, um, the Manchester um, Invincibles or, you no, know, the, the Oval Invincibles, the Manchester... I've even forgotten this, that their name originals. Thank you. But the black, the black shirts and, um, you know, as you say, three, probably three generations I saw when I went to Old Trafford, three generations of wearing this new kit um, where perhaps none of those uh, family members would have worn, um, you know, a Lancashire kit potentially beforehand. So uh, a new club almost created out of uh, the game of the hundred. But going, going back a little bit then to, you know, to playing garden cricket and, but having had that um that intoxicating experience uh watching the the telly when lyra was uh, was getting out l b um so what happened did you did what happened at school did you play cricket at school did you play club cricket um how did you get involved in the game as you as you got older
1: so uh, my school i i went i went i was at state school and we had When I was in secondary school, we had a tiny net that was sort of falling apart in the corner of one of the playing field. It was unusable. Um, uh, But otherwise, I don't remember ever playing cricket at school. It was, it just never, and that is, to me, and I know that, I think, well, I hope the situation is better now, but to me, it it is one of the great shames because it is such a brilliant sport and it is such a simple sport when you break it down to things like, what chance to shine do and all stars cricket do you can make the skills of it so straightforward and so easy to for people to grasp but we never did it as as kids really so it was down to i remember playing cricket in the back garden with my older brother with a tennis before we had sort of any cricket bats a tennis racket for a bat Mm. and the bin the the sort of uh the bin where sort of i don't know the hose pipe was curled up was where the Stumps were and you know it was all the old you know all those things six and out four of you hit the fence at this point all those things and and then as a teenager joining club cricket teams but there was that sort of sense that you if you wanted to play it wasn't handed to you you had to find a way to play and it wasn't always easy to find a club or anything else and you know and that for me is was a real sort of frustration because you you think God, how many talented athletes were missing out on the game because they didn't have the opportunity to play it. And, you know, and that, and that, is the, that is the nature of it. And, you know, cricket is a game that requires equipment, uh, particularly when you get a little bit older and it requires space. So, look, there were, it's not straightforward, but I, I, you know, I'd i love to have had more cricket in PE lessons as a kid because it was, it was, you know, just something that didn't really happen.
0: I think um without us wanting to make this uh, particular podcast sound too political um uh, you 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 tempted me to to get on that um uh, <laughs> on that sort of uh, uh on that subject but um I I I would say very quickly in response to those two observations that first of all I don't think um there is much more in the way of um cricket in state schools than when you were at school uh, yourself I think if anything there's less um, and I think that, in terms of accessibility into club cricket, that is still a big challenge um, and that is preventing and prohibiting a lot of people um through financial reasons through um you know accessibility accessibility and through in, in terms of getting to grounds uh, transport wise um it's still a still you know very much a real challenge um however you know um we still we need to be um we need to balance that with the likes of All-Stars Cricket, as you mentioned, Dynamo's Cricket, as you mentioned, uh, and, and other um, success stories of which, you know, um, the growth of the women and girls game is a massive one. So, um, And I
1: should say like, that, that is you know, my experience. And goodness knows across, you know, schools across the city might have had a very different time of it. And you know, there might have been clubs all over the place handing out flyers and things. And, and you know, I think that, Sort of anecdotally, seeing, I think yeah, seeing things like All Stars, you do get a sense that that push is now happening, which is great, and which is you know what you want to see to give, give gives the opportunity because it's it's such fun, <laughs> and we, we know that, but we, we have to sort of tell everyone, you know, that, sense that you really want to tell everyone,
0: yeah. But you, you, you I mean, All, All Stars is a is another great example of that um, descriptive that you used earlier in reference to the hundred because it it does give uh, the individual child. So for listeners who aren't familiar with All-Stars, All-Stars is the the branded uh, collective term for uh, five to eight-year-old organised cricket in clubs up and down the country. Um, And uh, for any child that registers to play, uh, they get their own uh, T-shirt, which is the same colour. So up and down the country, you'll see turquoise T-shirts with their names on, uh, the All-Stars brand, they get a bat, they get a, a ball, they get a cap, they get a drink bottle, and they also get a bag. So it's incredibly well uh, branded uh, and it and it does give that youngster, and they are incredibly young, um, but it gives them that identity and sense of belonging that they're not on their own. Um but it also encourages um you know families to get involved and support. So rather than dropping child off, you know, they're encouraged to get involved and hands-on. Um, so it it is a, a fantastic initiative. I mean, you know, as a club, uh, we've supported it from the beginning and, you know, we'll continue to do so and see it very much actually as our our way of developing and designing a girl's pathway for the first time in 125 years of the club's existence. So it's, 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 a, it's proving to be a success just in that regard, uh, just in one club. And I know we're not in any way, shape or form unique in that respect.
1: Well, that's just brilliant to hear, isn't it? And that's exactly what you know. it's exactly what everyone wants. That's the, it's the proof that I suppose that the idea and uh, and the premise works. I guess.
0: Yeah, and you know, the again, perhaps um. I- when we come on to the 100 it'd be interesting to hear what your view um was both as a as a cricket fan but also as a broadcaster um but uh you know there were there were lots of people of of which I was one being you know somewhat suspicious or cynical of what that you know what the 100 might bring uh, all stars as well I was a little bit the same I needed to be convinced of what the value was that was going to be derived by the children uh, because there was a lot of other you know financial stuff where's the money going to go and and so on um but yeah let's let's move on to um, so you, you had a you had a bit of a dabble into uh, into club cricket, but it wasn't particularly easy for you to uh, to to access um, cricket in, in a club environment so um at what point did you find yourself navigating towards uh, a career in the media and journalism and, and cricket or how did that come about
1: uh, so it's um, yeah I've, I've always played sports. Football and cricket, you know, always from from a young age in sort of varying degrees of 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 seriousness, Um, and and was sort of sport for me. Sport on on the radio, in particular, is is for some reason you sort of remember exactly where you were and how you were listening to something. and those iconic moments and people have, have referenced it um you know say steve harmison taking the wicket in 2005 at, at the end of the edge test matches and you know people driving along the motorway and you could hear horns blaring all those things there's something about radio commentary that just has a sense of community in such a special way and so I, as a kid i would always listen to f- football on the radio and and, and cricket on the radio test match special, and uh, from so I worked initially at my local radio station um, before moving to Five Live, uh, Five Live Sport, and then was lucky enough to get the job work, work, working as part of the cricket team in um, ahead of 2012 season, um, and, and and so I've been fortunate enough to be part of it since then, doing sort of all sorts of things, everything from um, you know initially sort of making teas, coffees, booking travel, that sort of stuff. And um, you know, the surreal thing of, of, you know, being able to call Henry Blofeld a colleague and that sort of thing, which is which never, ever lost its novelty or sense of you know, being ridiculous that, that was that, that was what I was lucky enough to be doing.
0: Did you did you have any particular favourites or did other family members have favourites of um of voices on the radio that commentated on the cricket from years <laughs> gone by?
1: I think there was always that sense that it, what Test Match Special had was the sense of fun and that it wasn't like a normal sports programme, but uh, completely, understandably, a game of football, say, is 90 minutes of high energy and absolute sort of focus on that hour and a half where people are sprinting the whole time and it is absolutely sort of condensed Full. It is condensed and it's really full on. Whereas Test cricket particularly, you do have two-hour periods where a team might score 30 runs and be blocking it. And actually, you know, not an awful lot happens. So there was always that room and that sense that, uh, you know, they had to, the people broadcasting from, you know, John Arlott, Brian Johnston uh, moving forward and then, and then Aggers and, and Henry Blofeld, Christopher Martin, Jenkins, that they would be that sort of comforting presence that was always there in in summer months and uh, yeah I I remember long car journeys and that that real feeling of just being sort of part again part of a bit of a club that bit of a sense that there's that familiar voice and you know they're making that talking about that thing I heard about yesterday and you know and and that's what Agas does so brilliantly and he's done for so long is is it, you know, to, he's been working in the role for 30 years and to to have that warmth and freshness and that sense that absolutely transcends all age groups because everyone that listens, you know, adores what he has to say, the humour and all those things. And you know, I, I remember, you know, as a kid loving listening to Aggers and and, um, and and I think Henry Blofeld stood out because he he's, was so sort of exuberant and the voice and the, the turns of phrase and things. So I think everybody sort of, you know, your your ears kind of pricked up when, when blowers came on the radio, but it is, and I think what sort of quite an interesting description of how cricket on the radio works. And that is that it is almost like a play with a cast of characters and you shouldn't look at it necessarily in a, as a sports commentary in the traditional sense, but actually it is, this group of individuals that are painting a story and telling you a story with their own turns of phrase, their own ways of describing things, and actually they, they build this tapestry by by having differences and not being all the same and not all speaking exactly the same way and at the same pace, and so it all creates this sort of overall sound. But you know, from when I was a kid, and I think still today, people have as the soundtrack to the summer months and. And that is, you know, that, that feels like the most special thing of all because you, you sense that there is sort of out there, I mean, it sounds really naff, but out there that there is a bit of a family and, uh, you know, it it matters, the, the fact that it's there and present matters to people, which is, you know, it's something that is the biggest privilege in the world, really.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you're doing a cracking job, by the way, in terms of uh, living up to your the high expectations that you set yourself in your introduction. Um, I think, <laughs> I think, I think to describe um, Test Match Special as a, a play with a cast of characters painting pictures is absolutely beautiful. Um, but, I, but, I, and I think also it does, it does resonate with me how you describe uh, Aggers in in your case um, being somebody who you know transcends ages and has that warmth. Um, and you know, ability to to articulate things and put words into pictures, but yeah, you know, I, I remember him sort of being handed over the reins as a as a kind of a young uh, broadcaster. Um, and and for me, I remember you know CMJ, you know very very much uh, being the the person I, I grew up with, or albeit you know Brian Johnson I remember and and as you mentioned before, uh, John Arlott. Um but but yeah i i think that's just such a lovely way of uh, describing it as a as a play uh, with a cast of of characters uh, because everybody is different and brings their own um unique way of uh, expressing that 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 word of what they see um but 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 also the the backdrop of the music because yeah the mu- the music for me the you know the, t- the test match special cricketing tune which i know is you know not uh, it's not their tune but um Anybody who loves cricket probably has that on their ringtone um, mm. or, you know, will have it, you know, played at their funeral or, you know, whatever. And um, uh, it takes me back to, you know, summers as a as a schoolboy. We used to go down long journeys in the car and, and listen to the radio. With my, my granddad as well, by the way, and um, mm. and he would tell me stories of when he was a boy and he'd go back to, you know, 1940s or whatever it was when he was listening to a Test Match special then. So yeah it, it it is um i suppose it is an institution and uh, as you rightly point out you know a real ple- pleasure and a privilege to be part of now so so yeah wonderful way of describing it and and how, how did you get involved then through all these different things from 2012 but how, how did you then find a way of um commentating and getting involved in broadcasting the women's game henry uh,
1: so, well, it's, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think how, I think in 2013, we had the Women's World Cup in India, in Mumbai, that yeah. um, was inevitably won by Australia, as, yeah. as these things, you don't really need to add that detail, But no. 2017, which was the that most, you know, what <laughs> was one of the great days, but, and so there, and sort of doing, and I'd done sort of sports reporting a, a little bit earlier on, and so it was then doing sort of odd bits of up, dates here and there and whatever else it might be and then sort of just slowly doing more and more bits and pieces and 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 then eventually uh, you know a couple of years later getting the chance to do bits of commentary here and there and and sort of uh, just sort of moving through i mean there's there's no sort of um you know right one day i'm gonna sit down and say oh, i'm going to be this and i want to do that it's more sort of just a lot of the time, circumstance and, and the opportunity of, of being there when the, the, the chance comes up because for whatever reason, there is you, you might be at a game where somebody needs five overs filling and so you think, OK, well, I can, I can step in and do that or whatever, and you see how you go. And I, I think the, the, the interesting thing about broadcasting on, on cricket is there are not many broadcasts where you sit down at the start of a day with the program going on air say 15 minutes before the start of start of the game or start of play and you have eight hours to fill and you have not scripted a single word of it and that is and when you break it down like that you're thinking god well how you know this is quite intimidating because i don't know what's going to happen what if what if it's a really rubbish game and what if but it's an amazing thing to see how the program manages and these, these brilliant broadcasters like Simon Mann, Jonathan Agnew and and, and Daggers uh, are able to conjure things up, conversations, tangents, everything else. And, and that's, you, you sort of, when you get a bit of an understanding of how that works and, and how they do that, you, you get sort of a bit of an appreciation of perhaps what it takes to, to make it, to make it work. And I think what Test Match Special in particular, and all all good radio, really, is to feel like a conversation,
0: mm.
1: and not to feel like uh, you're being sort of told something, mm. but you're in, in quite the same. But actually, that you're part of something, mm. and you know that you you do have a bit of a feeling of you know, oh, well, this could go anywhere. And actually, you know, it's, it's amazing how you know a day's play can absolutely. You have no idea what is going to happen either on the field or in the commentary box. And that is a real thrill because it might be that somebody delivers a cake that sparks a conversation, or a celebrity is in the crowd that comes to the commentary box and you know all of a sudden you're you're coming up with your favorite James Bond cricketing eleven or whatever it might be. And and that is it is both when you sort of break it down, you think, okay, there's eight hours to fill here, it's terrifying. But when you get going, it's amazing how things just flow and you know the, the amazing things that the, the, the brilliant broadcasters we're lucky to work with can sort of come up with <laughs> it never fails to amaze me
0: yeah i can i can, I can so sort of kind of if, if you um if you put it that way about you know eight hours to fill it does sound quite daunting but um i think the way you've described all the different component elements and um, even even with that kind of loose structure um you can get a sense of how it all dovetails so well. Um, so, you know thank you, you know, for, for putting it that way. So it kind of gives us a way of understanding the, the different elements and how they all fit together. Um, but, but yeah, I think perhaps part of the beauty of it is, is, is it, is, it is non-scripted um, and that it's, it's just authentic um, in, in, in terms of the, the natural flow uh, brought to life by, by each of you individually. Um,
1: and, and and the other thing that really, well, that didn't surprise me, but really sort of heartened me was getting the sort of f- the, the fortune of working with these voices that I heard. There's always that, they say, you know, that old saying, never meet your heroes. But yeah. actually, when the microphones are off and when they're on, there is really very little difference between either the characters and how they are and the conversations, you know, yeah. before the microphones go on. They're sitting there discussing who should be batting at three and four. Mm. And then it's almost as though somebody turns on the microphone and it's, you know, we'll carry on the conversation that we were having five minutes ago. Because in some ways, when you're on air for for that length of time, you can't be, you can't pretend to be something and someone that you're not. You you have to be genuine and you have to be who you are. And so when you hear Vic Marks laughing as he does, when you hear Henry Blofeld um you know is expressive and engaged as he is, or Andy Zaltzman making puns and being silly. he's doing exactly that when the microphones are off as well, and mm-hmm. and that is you know, and for me, that just felt so special because you, you realize actually that th- th- these people actually are completely as you, as you hear them off f- off mic because they are when, when you hear them on the radio, and that's you know i don 't know why it, it sort of heartened me so much, but it, really, it kind of really did.
0: Yeah. But I, I, I think that's, um, everyone would agree listening to, to, you, to express yourself in that way that I think everybody would agree with you. I think that, um, you know, by having that authenticity, that genuine, that natural, um, flow, uh, on and off, um, you know, must be the reason why it works so well because you can't put on an act for that long, um, uh, yeah. without being seen through uh, as it were. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, I think that, um, you make that case very, really well. Um, so what about, uh, the how, how have you seen the women's game take shape and grow and develop in the time since you've been involved in broadcasting?
1: It, it has changed beyond recognition and, uh, and I, that, that really is no, no understatement. And, and I talk about that 2013 World Cup that I mentioned in, in Mumbai, when we were a week away from it happening, there was uncertainty whether the tournament could go ahead because a Ranji trophy fixture had been rearranged and possibly was going to wipe out one of the venues that could be used for the women's world cup and so there was genuine conversations would the tournament happen and how they were going to do it and it was a bit sort of complicated admin got to india there was no signs that there was a major event happening anywhere you'd never know that there was and You know, it it felt like, that. you know, it's surprising that there wasn't that sense that there was a major international tournament going on. And later on that summer, there was the Women's Ashes that was a test match. And Wormsley is a fantastic venue, beautiful grounds, and they hosted the test match fantastically well. It was a brilliant occasion. But you've gone from, in 2013 a game played on a, a ground in a, in an estate in Buckinghamshire with you know no seating as uh, you know permanent stands or anything to in 2020 86,000 people watching a women's international cricket game at the MCG and so in the space of under 8 years uh, under 7 years sorry you you've gone from a position where the game with international tournaments you know it, it there wasn't that sense that it necessarily was this huge event that we now know it is, to it being the biggest show, the hottest ticket in town, and 86,000 people there absolutely loving it and supporting their teams. And it's hard to sort of look at that and not think that something really extraordinary has happened in the intervening time for the game to have gone from that position to the position now where broadcasters are fighting for the rights to show the matches where people are desperate for tickets and walking to Lords on the, on the morning of the 2017 World Cup final uh, down from St. John's for tube station, people ticket touts and things like that. And, you know, there being a real sense that this is, this is big. We need to be here. This is huge. This is really important. And that is an incredible shift in such a short space of time. And there, there's an awful lot of people that deserve a lot of credit for, for that
0: happening. I think you're right to, to not to, to recognise there are an awful lot of people, but would you you know if there were one or two uh contributory factors that you think have played a significant part in that transformation, what, what would you highlight?
1: Um, I think the professionalization of the game in different parts of the world, Australia have been the, the leaders of that in offering yeah. contracts to, to players, England have followed, there've been other contracted Team South Africa and and India and Pakistan as well, and the the difference that it has made in terms of the quality of the product, um, and and I suppose with that the the marketability of it, because in the way and the age that we live, so much of how things are sold and advertised is through social media and those viral clips of something extraordinary happening, and so the the more investment that was put into players being able to to make cricket a full-time job the better that they become the better quality it was the more highlight moments there were to sell the game the more interest there was and it all spirals from that but it, it's you it doesn't take you know it's not rocket science i think when you give people the opportunity to make it a full-time job that things will get an awful lot better and and it has been so thrilling to see uh, particularly in england in the in the last 18 months with the with the regional contracts that have come up suddenly this huge raft of players that are knocking on the door for international cricket going to play franchise leagues in Australia and because they've been given that opportunity to make cricket a viable career that suddenly it can happen and that, that that suddenly their their skills can grow and their Opportunities to be to be successful as athletes can grow, and that has been a huge thing. And somebody like Claire Connor or or Beth Barrett Wild at the ECB that have worked so hard for that deserve an enormous amount of credit because they have worked tirelessly for these things to happen and this this to be put in place. And once the opportunity is there. You've got to hand it to those players that have, have stepped forward and taken that chance. And and now when you see Izzy Wong smacking three sixes in succession, as we saw in, in the in the women's big bash league, you know, no longer is it something where you you hear you might hear about it or see it on a scorecard. It is now on people's timelines across the world on social media, and suddenly she becomes a household name. And, and these are the things that have, have shifted everything and changed everything. And you know, nowadays we're we're in a position where uh, a kid growing up will you know, and 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 always the hope is that somebody growing up sees cricket they don't see men's cricket they don't see women's cricket they see cricket yeah. uh, and and uh, for me the most moving moments and powerful moments of the summer now well, I know we'll talk about the hundred but was uh, arriving at lords and seeing a young boy in a london spirit shirt with heather knight's name on the back and it's a tiny thing and why shouldn't a young boy have the england captain's name on their back but it was something that I hadn't seen before. And you mm. suddenly think, do you know what? Well, of course, why wouldn't they? This mm. is, you know, they're supporting a team, they're supporting a sport. This is absolutely what it's about. Mm. Um, and it feels like we've gone so, so far in cricket just being cricket. And and that is something that is so exciting because, you know, it is, it's a bat and a ball and people playing it and people enjoying it and being incredibly skilled. And how, how thrilling it is that, you know, We've got this huge talent pool of players that, that that are able now to
0: show what they can do. Yeah, brilliantly, brilliantly put again, Henry. And um, I'll, I'll just ask one question before asking you about the hundred. Uh, so um, now that uh, it's been passed as the the right way to express um, in terms of non gender specific a batter versus a batsman, how many times have you got yourself caught out uh, about to say or oh, the incoming batsman is? Um, or have, have you managed to uh, to re- resist that uh, that temptation? Well, it's
1: it's a really interesting one. The whole the whole debate and Alex Hartley, my colleague, and because uh, you know we there was loads of discussions about it. And she said, look, if if one person feels that the game is more something that they can feel more engaged in because the term batter is used as her batsman, then let's do it. I mean. <laughs> If it makes you know, if it makes that difference, then you know absolutely. And I think there is still a very forgiving, you know, because batsman has been the, the parlance for so long i think people are very forgiving of you know the, the, and it and lots of lots of people still say bats lots of people say batter and and it'll sort of be a little bit interchangeable i think the significant thing is it being in the mcc laws that yeah. that that feels really significant because it is you know it, it is that statement from the very heart of the game yeah. um, and you know that's and, and there are other things that, that you know that we've sort of slightly shifted in terms of language and Actually, much for the better. And it was an Australian colleague, Jeff Lemon, who suggested this initially, from in terms of what I heard. And that was because third man as a phrase
0: is really quite,
1: it doesn't really describe anything because third man could be anything from next to the slip cordon to right on the boundary edge. So so we now try and say short third or deep third because actually that's much more descriptive. And it's not necessarily about, you know, not using the word man but actually it's more descriptive and if it makes things more inclusive and, and if people feel that the game is more for them then brilliant because ultimately the more people that like cricket the better it is for everybody as far as i'm concerned
0: yeah and you mentioned alex and uh, alex um was one of the two um guests at the the, the lancashire and cheshire grassroots awards and, and players event that Daggers compared and uh, she and Crossy actually um, presented the the award that I was uh, very fortunate enough to receive, and um, I'd love for the two of them to come on to to this podcast as well. Bearing in mind the success that and um, Nobles has had, and and obviously their careers, um, respectively, on and off the field have have gone so well. But I do remember, and I don't know whether it was with you at the time, but I do remember Alex talking about that third man issue, and it was in um, a test match against uh, India against England, I think. Um, and, uh, and she was talking about third, you know, short third or, or long third or whatever, uh, as opposed to not having the word man in it. And she was very, she put it really well, I think in terms of just almost like you have that, um, well, you know, well, what's the difference between, you know, man and, you know, th- as in why should it be a man, um, or oh, fielder as well, f- fieldsman, you know, cause in Australia they say fieldsman a lot. And she was talking about field air. We've had field air for so long. So why can't we have batter and 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 short third, etc. So, but I think you're right. I think the the, the, the marked difference is it's been uh, endorsed by the MCC, uh, and that's that's the thing we all need to get our heads around. So come on, let's let's hear your views on the hundred, because um, uh, we could wax lyrical for 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 ages. Um, and I'm very conscious of your time. But standout moments for you in the hundred?
1: Oh. Because, like you, ahead of it, there was that real sense of I don't know how this is going to be. You know, we they played uh, they played a practice match earlier in the summer, and the the broadcasters were out to sort of test how everything worked. And uh, you know, so but that was it. That in terms of the experience of how it was going to be, and there was just that sort of slight trepidation of okay, well, these are. You know, a lot has been put into this both from a broadcast point of view and from, from cricket's point of view. How's it gonna be? And I think that first night, and it actually very early on, when you saw that, that game between the the Oval Invincibles and the and the Manchester Originals, the women's game, and that was, you know, a brave, bold move from the ECB to make the opening game a women's game, and credit to them because yeah. it was
0: a brilliant event. And Couldn't agree more. It was, it, you know, it was a statement of intent
1: that, you know, this we're not this is absolutely cricket isn't. We're not looking at it any other way. It is cricket. And that first night when the players ran out, the fireworks went yeah. up, and you could see them looking around, thinking, "Oh my God, this yeah. is I've never seen this before." And there was a moment uh, um, when Maddie Villiers hit six runs down the ground, and I looked to my left and. Up watching on, uh, because they were going to work on the television the next day. Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson were mm-hmm. watching, not not in the sort of guest seats, but they were just watching on a balcony near the near the media centre.
0: Yeah,
1: and the cameras weren't on them. They weren't doing it for effect, but they both leapt up and cheered and applauded. And you suddenly think, okay, you know, this is, this is if happening. people that have seen everything in the game can are uh, 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 thrilled and engaged immediately by this. Then there is something. There is something here that's going to work, and it, it was that moment you think, okay, well, if this momentum can can continue, we could be in for something really special and really exciting, and and really important to the development of the game. And you know, I've I've never been one to say it had to be the way it was. It could, you know, if it had been a T twenty competition, it might well have worked, and and all these things. you know, that's that's a debate for another day. But what what it did was it made it created a narrative by having one game a day and that you could follow the competition simply. And that, that was hugely important. And by chance, as much as anything, because of the double headers being, you know, not originally part of the plan, you suddenly had 10,000 people watching a women's domestic match. And, you know, we, we, it was, we would get tweets in saying, oh, well, the air, they're only there to watch the men's game. And, and so we went back to the ECB as, as you know, our, our job is to try and get the get work out exactly how these stats are compiled. And they said, "Well, the the attendance for the women's game is measured of how many people are through the gates by the halfway point in the women's match. Okay. Which is at, at that point, you can legitimately say they're there to watch the women's game. They're not yeah. just there to get their seats for the men's game. And when we knew that that was the measurement, and that there were games like the London Derby Lords that had sixteen thousand in for the women's match." then you're thinking, do you know what? This, this is for a women's domestic game and this is unbelievable. This really is. And, and in fact, those players that up prior to the, the 100 would have been playing, uh, players like, say, Danny Gibson or somebody who, who I know you've spoken to, would have been, you know, gone from playing with in front of yeah. you know, a handful of people to yeah. suddenly lords. And yeah. it, it was just, and, and for that, that, you know, was huge. And to normalise women's cricket being played in front of big crowds, cameras, radio, to make that absolutely normal in the domestic game is huge because it's the old, you know, the old saying, you can't be what you can't see. And when you, you recognise that this is being put on in the way that, exactly the same way that the men's competition was being put on, it changes everything. And, and suddenly, you, know, you look at it and you think, OK, well, this is absolutely a game changer.
0: Yeah, I um, I think again uh, you you've hit on some really really interesting points and observations. Didn't know about the uh, the Broad and Anderson story. That's a fantastic one to to hear. And um, I think I think also the way you say that it normalised uh, domestic cricket for for women by being part of this and you know having all of the extra experience, fanfare, um, etc. Um, again, is a really great way of, of putting it. I. I I wasn't aware either that uh, the way of measuring crowds was halfway through the, the women's game, but uh, I found myself going to... I went to Headingley because I was meeting up with Gary Kirsten, um, having done uh, a coaching course with him. and So I was going to uh, see the Welsh Fire against Northern Diamonds, which was a, a match-up of Stokes against Bearstow on the men's side. But um, I wanted to see the women's game as well because Phoebe Graham, Katie Levick... Um, uh, were playing against uh, I the likes of Sophie Luff, so people who I'd chatted with through the podcast. Um, so so that ga- that gave me a reason. But when I, I then went to see the um, Manchester Originals uh, play against somebody, uh, I went with my two sons, teenage boys, and they were quite happy as well to watch the last 10 overs of the, the women's game and didn't see it as anything different in terms of level of excitement or experience. Um, so, so I think that, that was a quite a realization for me, uh, as a parent and as a cricket spectator, um, their, their, their whole view was about the experience of the, the music, the fireworks, the DJ, um, the cricket was, you know, it's a bit like you said earlier, ent- well, uh, I think we touched on entertainment versus sport, but, um, it, it kind of wove into one for them and contributed in a really, really positive way, um, but yeah, you you're right to point out uh, as well that it was coincidence rather than planned that the women's game was played on the same day as the men's. Uh, but by by God, did that work out well <laughs> um, for everybody? And it, did, and
1: it didn't. And it, and it and it is also will make a huge difference to the to the England women's side internationally because yeah. you've suddenly got players who are not going from playing in, in front of very few supporters yeah. who are used to the lights, the, the fireworks, everything. Yeah. And actually, they, the transition will be so much easier for them. And so someone like, I don't know, Maya Bougier who who played for the Southern Brave and then made her England debut later in the summer, she didn't look phased in the slightest. She looked really? like she'd done it all her life. And actually, it's amazing how quickly these things can benefit so, so much the national side and that you know they they will be the ecb will be looking at that and thinking "What a you know this is absolutely everything that we could have dreamed of
0: yeah i I, i'm sure they i'm sure they will and i I mean i'm not sure whether they would have seen that as being a a byproduct but it definitely is a a byproduct in terms of value add and um and and something that's going to be beneficial to to them and, and the national side so so thank you ever so much for your time, Henry. Uh, as with anybody, any, any good conversation, you, you look at your clock and think, oh my God, where's that time gone? And um, we've, spoke, <laughs> we've spoken for nearly three quarters of an hour and probably only just brushed the surface. Um, I hope that A, you've enjoyed it. B, you feel as though you've done yourself um, justice in, in comparison to uh, to Daggers.
1: That uh, is the most important thing <laughs> of all, obviously.
0: <laughs> uh, and, and, and C, that, uh, that you... Um, You'll you'll share the the experience with uh, maybe the likes of Alex and other colleagues, and uh, it would be great to to speak to others. But I'm I'm really really grateful for you giving up your time, and and thank you for just uh, sharing you know some of your uh, journey. I know that's an overused word, but some of your life involved in the game from that moment when your grandfather leapt out of his seat watching Lara um, being out uh, lbw in the 1995 series, test series uh, to the present day and commentating on. On cricket uh, of all different types, um, as part of the Test Match Special team. So, thank you very much, Henry Moran.
1: Well, it's a joy, and ch- you know, chatting cricket. You could sit here all day talking cricket and and discussing them, everything about it. And that is the joy of it, isn't it? We, you know, we do feel part of this very special club. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I think that's a fantastic way to end. I was going to wrap up by saying, you know, maybe we could be a cast of two characters in, in, uh, <laughs> in, in a play around cricket. But uh, but yeah, being part of that club is, is a much way, better way of putting it. Thanks ever so much, Henry. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for listening, everybody. As a reminder, each Cricket Coach 365 podcast will be released every Friday at 6pm on Spotify and Apple Play. After listening, please leave us a positive review on Spotify and share it with your friends and contacts. You can also follow us on Instagram at cricket underscore coach 365. Have a great day.